Welcome to the Ellis Martin Report. During this broadcast, you will learn of potential investment opportunities involving publicly traded companies. These companies have paid us for exposure on this program. We ask that before you consider any possible investment choice, do your own research. You can begin the research process by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. Remember, if you do invest in any publicly traded concern, you do so at your own risk. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Eric Fear, the president of Silvercrest Metals, trading in the U.S. as SVCMF and on the TSX Venture Exchange as SIL.B. Silvercrest Metals is a Vancouver-based precious metals exploration company that is focused on new discoveries, value-added acquisitions, and targeting production in Mexico's historic precious metals districts. Their Las Chispas mine in Sonora State, Mexico, promises to be a potentially highly prolific play. Eric? Welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me back on. It's always a pleasure. What's new? Give us an update on Silvercrest Metals. Well, the latest news has been all the excitement around the Bobby Canora vein, which is located within the Los Chispas district that we control in northern Mexico. From this point forward, for the next six months, it's all going to be about finishing up our phase two program which is another six to 8,000 meters of core drilling and putting out our maiden resource in Q1 of next year. I want to get it out before uh, PDAC kicks off in Toronto. Why is it important to you to get those results out before the largest mining conference in the world? Well, it's a catalyst to really hit the street again as we are ramping up our marketing program, not only in Canada, but in Europe and in the U.S., having just recently upgraded our listing in the U.S. Brokers now can talk about us in the U.S. to their client and really get the word out. And if we can hit PDAC, which is next March, then we're just rolling out basically next year with a maiden resource. And a lot of the focus around the last Chispas district and the discoveries that we're making are high grade. So you got to get your heads around high grade. And for me, high grade is great in a good market or a bad market. It's going to be an exciting story moving forward. When I speak of high grade, you know, we're drilling stuff that's multi-kilograms per ton of silver equivalent. This is a gold and silver system. It's an epithermal system. And there's no lead, zinc, copper, per se. So when I say a silver equivalency, I mean 75 to 1 ratio. With the types of grades that you've seen in the uplisting in the U.S., Silvercrest Metals has opened itself up to a larger, grander audience with more possibilities for investor interest and growth. Yeah, besides all of the good news that we've put out on high grades being at Los Chispas, you also have to look at where it's located. This is very strategic to us. It is in a prolific mining area that's easily accessible, has great infrastructure. It's 25 kilometers north of the Santa Elena mine, which the original Silvercrest under the Silvercrest Mines flag discovered, built, put into production, and then did a transaction in October of 2015 with First Majestic, and now it's their flagship. So we're located right next door, and there's another mine on the other side of us, which is the Mercedes mine, which was originally Yamana, and now it is Premier Gold. So this is a regional play. You mentioned production. You've done it before with Silvercrest Mines. Will you be producing again with Silvercrest Metals? Well, we've done it before, and this story in the big picture is all about doing it again. 
So when I say again, we want to build wealth for our shareholders and the communities that we work in, I think we got a great shot at doing that at Los Chispas. And that means you have to be prepared to go into production. We did it down the road and we can do it at Los Chispas. You also have to walk the path of a potential acquisition. The management has a lot of skin in the game here. So we're out to protect the shareholder interest, which is another tick box that your investors really need to consider when they're looking at investments in the exploration market and junior or even the senior companies that are are out there. Management needs skin in the game in order to really protect its shareholders. There's a lot of value here. I think we're going to create a lot more value coming up and just stay tuned. It's an exciting story. It's a new discovery. This project was never drilled previous to us starting a year and a half ago. So we're early in the stage. We're building critical mass and we hope to have a very attractive maiden resource out early next year to really put a splash into the market. The schedule for next year with the resource out and it being successful, then we'll push forward with PEA and PFS next year. We'll continue to drill. I try to use our success at Santa Elena, again, nearby Las Chispas, as pretty much lining up with what we did there. In 2006, we made a discovery at Santa Elena, and we financed it in 2009 at the bottom of the market, and it was in production in 2010. So I'm on the same schedule as Las Chispas. So we're fully prepared to put it into production based on success. What else might we see moving forward? Beside all the excitement around the discovery and the high grades, we are considering a bulk sample. We do have a permit for 100,000 tons that we can't process on site. So we're in discussions with the Santa Elena mine and the Mercedes mine and potentially taking that material. There is some capacity at both mills right now, and it's about an hour haul from us to get that material. Most of that's by highway. So again, that's very attractive from an infrastructure standpoint. We can also renew our 100,000 ton bulk sample and just continue on. We're building models right now around 200,000 to 300,000 tons of some low-hanging fruit that we have at Las Chispas. That's high grade. That would be very attractive for either the Santa Elena mine or the Mercedes mine. There is some near future potential for some cash flow out of Las Chispas. We'll see where it develops. Like I said, we're in early discussions right now, and our main focus is on getting this critical mass to put out a resource. But there could be some excitement around the bulk sample rolling out over the next six months. If you're in discussion with Santa Elena and Mercedes, you really mean First Majestic, right? First Majestic and Premier. Those discussions are ongoing, as common sense says they should, since we have to process off-site. Eric, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks again for joining me today on the program. Uh, Again, uh, great to be here, Ellis, and looks like hopefully we'll have a a successful six months to a year run here in metal prices. Well, with high-grade silver and potential production regardless of the silver market, things are looking very good either way, most likely for Silvercrest Metals, right? Yeah, again, with high grade, you can do good in a a bad metals price market or a good one. Your amount of success that you're going to have and your profitability around that. But go for high grade. Grade is king. I've been speaking with Eric Fear, the president of Silvercrest Metals, trading in the U.S. as SVCMF and on the TSX Venture Exchange as SIL.V. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com, or listen to the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes and TuneIn Radio. Did you hear something worth repeating? Find all segments of this program on our website, ellismartinreport.com.
Once again, here's Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Ivan Bebek, the executive chairman of Orn Resources, trading on the TSX as AUG and on the New York Stock Exchange as AUG. Orn is focused on scalable high-grade gold deposits in established mining jurisdictions, which to date include the Committee Bay and Gibsons McCoy projects located in Nunavut, Canada, the Homestake Ridge project in British Columbia, and a portfolio of projects in southern Peru. Today I'm speaking with Chairman Ivan Bevick and Orange Chief Operating Officer Michael Henriksen at the Precious Metals Summit at Beaver Creek in Colorado. Ivan? Michael, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, likewise. Pleasure. What brings you both to Beaver Creek? Uh, well, we're at a very exciting stage of our company. We started this world-class discovery drill program of about 55,000 meters across our entire portfolio. And where we've gotten so far is our first 40% of holes back from our Committee Bay project, where we've had some tremendous success. We've got a start of a new discovery, which I'll let Michael talk to us about in, in just a moment. And we're well into our Homestake Ridge project in BC, where we've drilled 9 of 12,000 meters, where no results have come back yet. But but we're really encouraged by what we're seeing. Michael, tell us about this exciting IVIC discovery. By comparison, according to what I've read, you're using analogous attributes to Gold Coast Muscle White Mine. Well, I think really the discovery at IVIC is in its infancy, really. We've hit a very, very encouraging drill hole along a regional shear zone. It's seven kilometers in strike length. We've got lots of support in terms of gold and tills for geochemistry, as well as boulders containing high grade shedding off of this shear zone. The best thing about this discovery to us is its proximity proximity to our already existing three bluffs deposit, which is only 12 kilometers away. So if you asked me at the start of the program, where would you most want to have a discovery? I would have told you at IVIC. It's the closest target that we had. That allows us to kind of view this as a multi-deposit scenario that could be serviced from a single point of infrastructure. That's fascinating. Now, I learned that you're expecting results from about 30,000 meters of drilling, and that's coming up very shortly in the fall. I was up in the Yukon recently, and they were talking talking up there about how you're occupying a lot of hardware. You're taking up a lot of drill, drill space. Absolutely. There's one thing that's very consistent with all of our companies is we tend to be quite aggressive. By nature, a lot of people are familiar with my previous companies, but when I met Michael Hendrickson and his team, they made me feel like I was standing still sometimes with their intensity that they go and take these on. Not only is his team from a major, and not only do they operate at the grade and quality of a major, but their intensity and the amount of work that they're undertaking is unheard of. No one's ever gone at a 300 kilometer long greenstone belt, explored 18 targets, drilled all 18 of them in one year. So it's quite fascinating. This will provide a lot of results. I think uh, also our Homestake Ridge project where we've drilled 9,000 meters, there's some really, really exciting rocks that we've hit so far. Now I was looking at your presentation before this interview. It's quite extensive. It looks like you're actually operating as a major. Is that your eventual plan? Well, I think, you know, coming from a major, our goal is to develop projects that a major wants to acquire. And, you know, because of our experience Technically, we know exactly what the thresholds are, what the benchmarks are, and so we attack our projects accordingly. The other thing that I will say about our group is that we are extremely aggressive in exploring new ground. We're not here to retread an old project. We're here for a brand new discovery to really make that quantum leap forward for shareholder value. And to Mike's point, what he just commented about going for a brand new discovery, out of our four projects in Peru, 
only one of them has ever been moderately tested. So the other three have never been drilled before. But it's important that you and your listeners understand what the word discovery means. I mean, it's exciting to go make one. The odds are one in 10,000 that you'd find it somewhere new. If you go up to the Arctic or if you go over to BC to really find big extensions where someone hasn't drilled before, what you have to realize is that when you drill, like we are, a 55,000 meter discovery program, the chances of, of having continual hits are not very high. But having meaningful hits is where all the reward is going to come. And so far at this conference in Beaver Creek, we have 45 meetings in two and a half days. And we would have had half the meetings had we not made that discovery. And all the right people are asking for meetings with us from shareholders, from companies and whatnot. But we're really on to something significant. And I think there's a lot more yet to come before this year is out. And next year will be a tremendous year as Peru comes alive for us and we start to get some new discoveries there as well. The amount of meetings are very significant also considering that typically this is a junior space, but you're on the New York Stock Exchange, you're not a penny stock. It's a great potential entry level for investors considering choosing or in resources. At the end of my presentation, the title of the slide says we're just getting started. What I mean by that is Michael and his team did a tremendous job of underpinning some incredible acquisitions for us that built out a seven project portfolio. Each of those seven projects could be a company maker in themselves. So when I talk about we're just getting started, we just started drilling. We've announced 40% of our committee bay results so far. We've got our first discovery there, possibly our second and third underway, you know, from our own internal speculations. But what we see as a company going forward is a very big monetizing event as we roll into the second round of discovery drilling back on the successes that we've had so far. And for the benefit of your listeners, when they look at the follow-up programs that we're going to do around the IVIC discovery, around West Plains, we go up to Homestake and we have some discoveries there. These are the programs that are going to have a lot better hit rate because you'll be expanding a discovery. And that's usually when the most joy happens in a company like ours. So I think between now and the next 12 months will be the, the biggest move in our share price in terms of unlocking value. Now, Gold Corp has that muscle white project. They're also involved with you, aren't they? Yeah, they bought a 12.5% interest ownership in us earlier this year at a premium to our current share price at about 367 Canadian. So we're actually trading below their entry point. But to the degree of the muscle white comparison, if you drilled that early, and, and to Mike's point, you could have seen a whole like three and a half meters of five grams. You know, we drilled 12 of five grams with three meters running 18 grams. But if you walked away after drilling three and a half meters of five grams, you would have missed on one of Canada's largest deposits, one of the largest deposits in the world, right? Michael's point and our point about that analogy is that you've got to follow up. And the biggest thing that Mike mentioned about it that gets us the most excited is that it's on a seven kilometer long projected zone. That means that if it's there, if it becomes another Arctic giant, it could be really big. You know, like you're seeing at Amaruk or you see at Sabina, some of the discoveries there going north of five million ounces. That's the potential that this one sole hole can have based on where it's located and how much gold is around it on surface and how big the structure is. When you see a deposit like that potentially, what are you going to do with it? What's your dream? Oh, the dream is here with Ivic is to expand it simple as that. I mean, every discovery starts with a single drill hole. And, you know, our feeling is we've just had that drill hole. Now we get to work. Now we do the real work and making this thing bigger. We also go back to our other deposit and start expanding that as well. It's really important in the Arctic to make sure you, if you can have a couple of deposits ongoing at the same time, expanding and discovery at the same time, that's when you're going to catch everybody's attention. How are you cashed up to handle all of your endeavors right now? So we currently have $15 million in cash. We'll end the year with about $3.5 million. We'll obviously need more money, but we're going to rely on 
more discovery holes to come out of the 30,000 meters that's pending by the end of the year. But currently, I think that the market's going to start to recognize how meaningful IBIC was on the back of our 45 meetings at Beaver Creek that will likely be repeated at Denver with other investors as we move forward. And for us, we're not intimidated by raising money. We can write checks ourselves. We've been very active buyers in our own share price in the marketplace. But most importantly, we've got a lot of options for financing, You know, whether they be corporate, whether we sell one of our projects to finance the company and we pay shareholders a dividend. There's a lot of things that could happen going forward. For us right now, our stress is not so much in about needing more money to go on and do bigger programs. It's to see how well did we really do this fall. And that's what we're on the edge of our seats losing sleep on every night. When do you believe we'll begin to start seeing some results? It'll be probably every two weeks for the next two months. And I think that two to three weeks in between results, but we'll be getting them from both Committee Bay as well as from Homestake. And those will be separate press releases. They'll never be the same. So I think you could, you could see a lot more than that. But to be conservative, I think every two weeks, you probably see a results press release between now and December. And then our Peru drilling will start at the end of October going into November and results will be pending from there going into the new year. So we really don't stop drilling. Previous years, our company's performance has been a little soft around this time of year because we've hit seasonality. You can't drill for a while. But in this case, we get to continue drilling in Peru. And what Mike and his team done in Peru and what they've been designing as far as a portfolio and assembling a district, it's spectacular. This is from surface oxide gold. I'm not going to say it's a lot easier, but it's a lot more accessible. And the showings of some of those projects is quite advanced, so there's some really high probabilities that we could come up with a major Peruvian discovery while we're coming out with discoveries from the north. When I met you in your office a few months ago in Vancouver, you look quite, quite busy. Give us an example of what your day's like. Well, I basically am dealing with a team of geoscientists almost around the clock. Yeah, you know, I have experts who live in Perth, Australia, or whether they live in Turkey, and so quite often late-night conference calls. Really, I think the thing that I do is I provide a lot of strategy to the geoscience team so that we can go attack things properly. I will say Dave Smithson, our VP of Exploration, is our technical backstop. Without him really being absolutely sure about every move we make, I think this would be a much harder endeavor. So I really consider my longstanding relationship with Dave super important. And he and I are on the phone probably three to four hours a day. Now let's take a step back to your days at Newmont. If you saw a company such as Oren with projects around the globe, basically, and you've been watching them for a while, what would your thoughts be about that particular company? What would your next step be if you were to make a step? First of all, I, I would say to the, you know the executive management, this is something very different. This is a very different junior. It's not really a junior any longer. They're really after discovery, a genuine discovery. And you can see by the way that they're screening ground, moving through it, that they're highly competent and professional. And if I was going to bank on a new discovery coming out of a group, you know, I would bank on these guys. I mean, I think that would be my reaction to it. And that's why we created what we did. We created it for exactly that. Now, Ivan, you have a background of building great companies and then selling them. Yes, I've had a great team, great partners to do that with. Certainly don't take all the credit and uh, I, I love sharing it because it's the team that makes us good at what we do. What you're hearing on our interview today is you're hearing both sides of the equation. You're hearing myself on the market finance side and hearing Michael on the technical side. When I look back at everything I've done, everything I've invested into as a large shareholder or any company I've been part of building, I said this in my talk, this is the single best investment opportunity I've ever been part of. And I say this by the caliber of discovery that can come out of this group. 
group, seven major projects, which gives us the odds of how many discoveries that could potentially come out of it, and most importantly, by the quality of technical team. If you look through our list and you look at who's on that team and what they've done, you know, this is a once-in-a-lifetime experience for me as a financier and entrepreneur and my partner, Sean Wallace, and the rest of the team to backstop a group like this technically, and we're doing it in a very aggressive manner because we want to know what we have before we start talking about monetizing events. Let's take a look through the crystal ball for a minute, which we shouldn't do in this business. What do you see two to five years out? To be completely honest, based on a very intelligent evaluation of the industry, there's been six years of drought of exploration in our business because of the lower gold prices. We sold our last company after 100 drill holes into a discovery, and that is unprecedented to see that happen. Why did it happen? I think there's a huge demand amongst the majors to show a pipeline of growth for themselves going forward. If you listen to Gold Corp's presentation that I heard earlier this summer, David Garofalo was talking about they're at 42 million ounces. They want to get to 50 million ounces. It sounds easy. Add 20% of gold reserves to your ounces, but he's going to produce 12. So he needs to find 20 million ounces of gold. Secondly, the most important part is the gold price. We're having this interview because the gold price is starting to improve a lot. What does a rising gold price do to a major? It forces them to show growth. So where does growth come from? It comes from acquisitions of things like ours. I think we're in a two-phase part of making major discoveries. I think in the second phase, which should be drilling next year, possibly still this year, we're going to try and hold off as long as we can because we think we can unlock a ton more value before we go down that road. But I think we're going to be at the top of the list of a lot of the corporates because of how much we have to offer and because the quality of the work, it's as good as they would do themselves. So really, it's a really tremendous opportunity market-wise and portfolio-wise. Michael, where do you think that we'd be in a two to five years? Yeah, difficult to say. I mean, if the discoveries continue, you know, if we get into something real at IVIC, I don't think we'll be here discussing this five years from now. That's for certain. What I really see this company moving towards is leveraging our expertise, moving towards discovery, and ultimately achieving our goals of selling. That's it. Whether it be Gold Corp or another major, it's quite likely this company could be taken out. We're not saying that it might be taken out, but it could be within the next few years. Yeah, I hope if we have continued exploration success that, you know, that is an outcome that we're driving towards. No question about it. The only thing I would add about a takeout in the next few years is as this is our third company and we're doing this because we enjoy doing this, not because we have to do this, we're going to look for a lot more and the assets certainly if they do deliver as Michael has anticipated that they could, it'd be worth a lot more and it would be priced that we're sensitive towards more than time. So we're going to hold out as long as we can to make sure that we've unlocked enough value in this company. We're not doing this for a single digit share company. We're going for the double digit kind of return. And you're never trying to sell anything. You're doing the work on the ground and eventually the people that knock on your door, you may say yes. The assets will take care of that. They'll be the base of that decision and we think that the potential discoveries will be more than big enough to accommodate that if they're there. Ivan Bebic, Michael Henriksen, thank you so much for joining me today in the program. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Thank you. I've been speaking with Oren Resources Chairman Ivan Bebek and Chief Operating Officer Michael Henriksen at the Precious Metals Summit at Beaver Creek in Colorado. Orm Resources trades on the TSX as AUG and on the New York Stock Exchange as AUG. Find the company logo and click through on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. The following segment is sponsored by Pure Energy Minerals, trading in the U.S. as PEMIF and on the TSX Venture Exchange as PE. Pure Energy Minerals is an emerging leader in the development of innovative resource-efficient mineral exploration and project development. 
Pure Energy's flagship lithium brine project is located in Clayton Valley, Nevada, immediately adjacent to North America's only producing lithium mine. The company's terracotta project is located in the heart of Argentina's lithium-rich Puna region. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Simon Moores of Benchmark Mineral Intelligence. Benchmark is a price data collection and assessment company specializing in the lithium-ion battery supply chain. The Benchmark team offers price data, analysis, and forecasting services for lithium-ion cathode and anode raw materials, particularly lithium, graphite, cobalt, and nickel. Benchmark Mineral Intelligence is presenting a unique opportunity for our listening audience to attend Cathodes 2017 in Newport Beach, California at the Balboa Bay Resort, October 8th through 10th. You'll have the opportunity to participate in three days of workshops, presentations, and networking events, all dedicated to examining the future of the cathodes industry. For information on attending this event in one of the most stunning locations in the world, look for Cathodes 2017 at BenchmarkMinerals.com. Here's my conversation with Simon Simon, welcome back to the program. Nice to have you with us. Hi, Alice. It's good. What's fascinating is a Cathode 17 conference. It's a big conference. It's happening in my backyard in Newport Beach, California. Why did you select this particular venue? California is a nice place in October, number one. It's actually, you know, the battery industry is an is a Asia-Pacific industry, really. So we wanted to pick a location that was, that was nice, relaxing, easy to get to for not only people in the U.S., but our customers in Japan, Korea, Australia, and in Europe, and flying into LAX, Newport Beach, 40 minutes south of LAX, it was a perfect location for what we want to be a high quality, but niche and private seminar. That sounds fantastic, and I think there's a very smart choice. In fact, if anyone wants to fly into Newport Beach directly, they can do so through John Wayne International Airport, which uh, connects with the world as well. It's a lovely airport. Yeah, I heard about this, actually. I didn't realize that there's actually two or three airports that are in the Newport Beach area. And, and that's another reason why. I mean, uh, it, for our international audience, they weren't, obviously, Newport Beach isn't as well known as Los Angeles. But in terms of connectivity, it was perfect. And so we have found we're expecting 150 people coming from all different countries related to the battery sector around the world. So we're really looking forward to it. What we're always looking for on my side of the table and yours, of course, is more attention to the sector. And... We're looking to reach out beyond that. Many people are not aware of the potential investment opportunities. Lithium, cobalt, nickel, cathodes, everything you're discussing at this conference is very crucial to our lives during the coming years. And the disparity between mineral prices, which is huge, and investments is very large, especially in the retail area. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do a, a high-quality three-day professional industry event. Um, it's our first one that we've done for the battery space, bringing together lithium, cobalt, nickel, and for investors and industry alike, there's a lack of accurate data and analysis on the space. There's a lot of noise around because there's a lot happening from the lithium mines all the way through to what VW have been saying about their recent investments in electric vehicles. But the reality is that data and analysis people can trust is very hard to come by. And that's something that obviously Benchmark Minerals produces on a regular basis. And we needed a forum. We needed an annual forum where people could come together share their thoughts, information, and this is the perfect opportunity for it for investors and industry alike. You hold these forums globally, as a matter of fact. I'm still very intrigued by the fact that you're bringing this here to California. I understand the reasons why you're doing so. An event like this in the United States, especially in California, can really affect the industry as a whole when you put investors together with companies, with speakers, and you educate everybody, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, we've found California, especially with what's happening, certainly from the Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley impact on electric vehicles, 
together with the money, the investment money is key. At the moment, we're only just starting to see investment dollars flow into the space tentatively. For example, lithium's raised about $1 billion so far, but we think the lithium industry will need about $7 billion over the course of the next 10 years. And so bringing these annual forums together, Cathos 2017 is, we believe, the ideal platform for true industry, the people that make it happen, the actors in the space that are buying and selling these minerals or making the batteries or making the cars, to bring them together with proper institutional investors, real money that can make a difference in the space. That was always the plan and it's shaping, we have 10 days to go or so two weeks to go and it's shaping to be that way. Tell us about some of those actors in the space who will be attending and speaking at this event. The reason we put Cathodes or created the Cathodes 2017 event was there wasn't really a industry forum to focus on the raw materials, the, the lithium, nickel and cobalt specifically, up to the people that buy it, the cathode manufacturers. You can go to lots of mining conferences, but you never meet the buyers. And so we wanted to create a conference that was centralized on the buyers. So we have companies like BASF speaking, we have Huli Technology, who's a Chinese cathode manufacturer speaking and a true pioneer of the space. We'll focus the conference on the buyers. We also have the mining companies speaking. We have Freeport McMorrin, the cobalt division speaking, Vale, Namaska Lithium, Galaxy Resort. Lithium Americas, Joe Lowry will be speaking as well for the lithium space. We've got a lot of good content there, as well as the benchmark analysts and our own data. That was the idea behind the conference. Well, it's certainly a fantastic idea. Usually I have to travel globally to attend uh, any conference in the resource space, and now I just have to drive about half an hour and I'm there. I'm looking forward to getting educated. I'm a journalist. I'm a broadcaster. I'm not an expert. I interview the experts, people such as yourselves. Uh, what sort of opportunities are there for myself and, and other journalists to learn? Yeah, we have media passes available, so we already have some international journalists attending. Obviously, we have yourself attending as well, Ellis. I'm looking forward to having you there and meeting you. You know, we want... The public forums talks for the journalists to learn as much as the industry. It's important that the right messages get out because there are a lot of headlines, a lot of noises at the moment, and we want accurate, good information to get out there into the space. As well, there'll be very private meetings that go on. You know, this is a a top-level industry conference. There'll be many private meetings and deal-makings happening in and around the event. And so it's kind of an event for everyone. There's two days of talks and workshops. So there's a lot of good information for people to learn from, but there's also the opportunity for people to network privately and lots of different things for it like this. So I think overall, um, it's a conference that will be a bit different for everybody, but I think it will become the main battery minerals event, if not this year, next year, and I'm looking forward to it. Well, certainly you put on some fantastic events in the past. I understand that you just completed an Asian part of your world tour. And Newport Beach, again, is one of the most beautiful places in the U.S., if not the world, to hold a conference or just to go for a few days. And I understand registration is still very open. Open and there's plenty of opportunities for new delegates, anyone that wants to come to attend, correct? That's correct. So if people go to benchmarkminerals.com, um, you can find our, the Cathodes 27 website on the event tab there. And registration is still open. It's going to be open until the day of the conference as well. So I have a question for you. It's sort of out of left field. Are fossil fuels ultimately dead? <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a pretty uh, direct question. Um, I think the energy mix is evolving. It's evolving. So fossil fuels aren't dead yet and the difference is we're becoming less reliant on them energy storage is critical to lower the reliance certainly on the oil industry which is what at the moment our vehicles are addicted on or hooked on and so now this energy transition will take it will be a generational one i think the blueprint is being set over the next five years certainly with battery technology mass production of lithium-ion batteries and lower costs and the emergence of electric vehicles 
but they're not dead yet. Is it just the beginning with regard to the use of lithium, cobalt, nickel? Are there new technologies in the works right now which will consume more and more of these minerals that we're just simply not aware of? Yes, quite simply. And I think lithium-ion batteries are central to that. So lithium, nickel, cobalt, graphite as well for the anode side. These are all the core raw materials for lithium-ion batteries, the most critical, the ones that Benchmark specializes in our price collection and data collection in. And so it's something we recognized many years ago. The world is starting to wake up to the importance of these minerals, but they're very niche. For example, nickel, even though it's like a 2 million ton industry, the reality is only 75,000 tons of that is using chemical form in batteries. So even though nickel's big and established, it has to, the chemical part, the battery grade nickel, has to rapidly expand, just like we're seeing in the lithium space. It has to go from niche to mainstream, and this will happen over the course of the next five years. Is the supply going to be there to meet the demand? I know it's prevalent in the earth, but bringing these minerals and metals to production it seems to be a bit problematic at the moment. Yeah, and geologically speaking, not a problem. You know, these aren't rare, they're niche, but they're not rare minerals and metals. The biggest problem is going to be turning into that battery grade material. That's where the bottleneck is. So it's not about getting lithium, just the volumes of lithium out of the ground. It's really those hydroxide and carbonate plants to create a battery grade product that's consistent enough and high enough quality for the battery users to make. This is the biggest challenge for anyone developing a new mineral resource. It's not the mining side, it's the chemical side. And so that's very important to stress, not just for lithium. It's the same for cobalt, it's the same for nickel, and it's the same for graphite. Graphite is not in its chemical form. It goes into a, they have to produce a coated spherical graphite, turning a flake of graphite into a sphere. But all these things take know-how, um, they're tailored for each customer, so they're not commodities. The customer really drives the spec, and there's, they take more effort than people, I think, realize. And so I would say, geologically not a problem, but it's the tailoring, the manufacturing that is the challenge, and that'll take time to overcome. Well, Simon, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I look forward to seeing you in a very short order here in Newport Beach, California for Cathodes 2017. Thank you so much for joining me today in the program. See you soon. Cheers, let's see you in California. I've been speaking with Simon Moores of Benchmark Mineral Intelligence. For information on Cathos 2017 in Newport Beach, California, at the Balboa Bay Resort, go right now to benchmarkminerals.com. The previous segment is sponsored by Pure Energy Minerals, trading in the U.S. as PEMIF and on the TSX Venture Exchange as PE. Learn more about the company by visiting pureenergyminerals.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Listen to this segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com or download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes or your TuneIn radio app. High-quality but undervalued mining stocks are finally starting to attract the attention of investors. Get the latest news and resource stock investment opportunities with a subscription to Resource World magazine. Published six times a year, Resource World features in-depth articles on mineral area plays, commodities of interest, and valuable investment insights by highly qualified market analysts, geologists, and mining journalists. Go to resourceworld.com to find out more. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Patrick Highsmith, the CEO of Pure Energy Minerals. Pure Energy. Trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol PE.V and in the U.S. as PEMIF. Pure Energy Minerals is an emerging leader in the development of innovative, resource-efficient mineral exploration and project development, notably with lithium. The company is focused on its 9,500-acre flagship lithium brine project located in Clayton Valley, Nevada. Lithium is used in a wide assortment of mobile devices, hybrid electric vehicles, and power storage. Pure Energy Minerals announced last year that the company had entered into an agreement with Tesla Motors for the potential supply of lithium hydroxide that they intend on producing from Clayton Valley not far from the Tesla Gigafactory. Today I'm visiting with Patrick Highsmith at the Precious Metals Summit in Beaver Creek, Colorado. 
Patrick, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Alice. It's great to be here. We're seeing a lot of excitement in the automobile sector right now with firms like Volvo and BMW promising to go all electric by 20-something very soon, within the next five to 10 years. 20 years, we won't be able to find any new cars with fossil fuel in them. What most people don't realize, the investing public, the consuming public, is how crucial, how important lithium is, yet you're on the road to actually have offtake agreements potentially with several companies, and right now you have one with Tesla. You know, Ellis, it's an exciting time in this sector, and I'm a pretty conservative guy, and yet I look around at the macro, the lithium battery world, and I'm really excited by what's happening. Major car companies, as you've said, BMW, Volkswagen, Volvo, they've all indicated a much increased presence in electric and hybrid vehicles, and that's all fueled by lithium. And so it is an exciting time, and we're just sort of keeping a lot of balls in the air right now. We intend to be meeting with battery makers, electric vehicle makers in the coming weeks and months. At the Cathodes Conference next month, we'll be meeting with potential off-takers of lithium, and that's where lithium's a little different. It's not a currency like gold, but it sure is a currency for the new energy future. I've been saying this for years, and I've covered gold for years, silver, all the precious metals, base metals, energy minerals. You can't eat gold, and you can't even use it to buy anything with right now. I can't hand you a, a gold coin and, and purchase anything from you or anyone else at this moment. So it really, although it's the oldest currency on the planet, as you said, it's not anything you can actually consume. Whereas lithium is, and I'm wondering, there's a huge disparity between lithium itself, and let's say lithium stocks. And it's also true for many of the metals and minerals in the sector, a large disparity between the precious metals and the equities. What are your thoughts on that? Well, Ellis, you can certainly buy anything you want from me with gold, by the way. So we can do that deal after the show here. But lithium is getting into a more mature commodity, I would say. When I first entered the lithium business in 2009, people really hadn't connected lithium to lithium batteries, certainly to electric vehicles yet. And now they have made that connection. So I would say we've we've got to be patient for this market to mature. But when we see these major companies adopting broadly a fuel for their future batteries like lithium, then I think we'll see broader adoption across the investment sector too. Remember, if I want to invest in lithium, there aren't very many pure lithium plays amongst the producers. Those are diversified chemical companies most often, not really resource companies, not even companies who thought of their future as mining five years ago. Today, they're probably claiming to think of their future as mining, but we junior companies who are rapidly advancing projects, pure lithium plays with new discoveries or emerging new technologies like pure energy minerals, there's some excitement there and certain aspects of the investment sector are seeing it and we just got to get the word out and meet people and uh, that's really what we're doing right now at Pure Energy. Why wouldn't you be a potential acquisition target for an automotive group? Why shouldn't all of these automotive groups, people like Ford, GM, Volvo, BMW, Mercedes, be vertically integrated. When I first got into the lithium business, I realized for the first time that the Asian companies making batteries and starting to make electric vehicles, this was 2009 and 10, were realizing the supply chain was flawed. The lithium market was flawed. And I used to compare what went on in lithium to the way De Beers handled diamonds back in the day. That market's gotten a little more open, and I would say lithium has too. But if you're not thinking about your lithium supply when you're planning to rapidly increase the development of electric vehicles and your production and consumption of lithium, then you might not be uh, managing your businesses forward 
as you think you are. So do I believe that every car company is going to buy a lithium company or have their own lithium mine in their back pocket? Probably not. We're going to let the supply chain mature. The last three mines built in the lithium space were built by juniors. So we junior companies are making strategic moves, learning. We're building our technical teams. We're getting better at what we do. And I would say that those some of those companies you mentioned are paying attention. And we do see those guys looking at how they're going to play this supply chain. And you know what? We don't need to sell them a company. We just need to form that partnership and that relationship. And when you're strategically aligned with a quality company like that, they're going to need lithium for a long time. And we want to produce lithium for a long time. Are you speaking to any of those companies? Yes or no? (laughs) No comment. You know, it's very dynamic. As you know, I'm a business development guy, Ellis. So we meet with a lot of folks and I have met with representatives of several of the car companies over the years. And it's always an educational process for me. I can tell you that. Well, tell us what's going on with Tesla. We have a conditional supply agreement with Tesla. And of course, we recently put out our preliminary economic assessment. That's the first time anybody's been able to look at this project from an economic point of view. The first time I could speak to its potential net present value or the capex or the very attractive operating costs we believe we can generate to produce lithium hydroxide. So we briefed all our sort of associates in the space and and Tesla included in that. It's a great milestone for us to achieve and now people can look at it in terms of real numbers, what that project really might look like. And that, of course, will help us arrange potential offtake for that lithium probably before we go into construction. Those are the kind of relationships we're seeking on a regular basis. And of course, Tesla's taken the world by storm with the introduction of the, the Model 3 now. But now we and other lithium companies have got to get down to the business of meeting that demand. And, and that's what we're trying to do. No, I live in Southern California. You brought something to my attention the other day that I was not aware of, and I should be aware of it. It's the Cathode Conference in Newport Beach, of all places. And Simon Moore's Benchmark Minerals is putting the conference together. And you're one of the few public companies that's going to be attending at that event. Why is it so important that you attend this event? You know, we look around the space. We're trying to fit this unusual business, lithium, into maybe the junior mining sector, maybe the broader mining industry. Maybe we really fit into the energy industry better. I'm not sure the world knows where the lithium business fits, Ellis, because it's so new and it's growing so fast. Simon Moores and the guys at Benchmark are really building a business model around getting that word out. I've done several cities on the Benchmark World Tour with them this year. Always great meetings to be had there. We're always learning something. So this first of its kind event entitled Cathodes 2017 will put a motley crew of different folks in a room. There'll be people in that room who've never been around junior mining companies, so they'll find that interesting, I'm sure, and colorful. But we'll be there with real companies, real technology companies developing new battery technologies, traditional battery makers, and that just spawns the sort of interaction that helps us set a target for where to take our company and even which lithium to produce. As you know, we're going to be targeting lithium hydroxide to produce from the Clayton Valley project. And we'll be sampling the pulse of demand for lithium hydroxide at that meeting. Our project in Argentina is just emerging, likely to see its first drilling in the next couple of months. So what about that project? Do we aim for lithium carbonate or lithium hydroxide? Or will there be another lithium salt or, or form of lithium that we would target? We're fingers on the pulse of an emerging industry, first of its kind conference right here in the U.S., right next door, really, 
from me in California. So we'll be there and looking forward to it. And I expect to come out of that with some fresh perspectives from those meetings. When we attend these conferences, and they happen all over the world, we have a framework of what we might expect when we attend. For instance, we're here at Beaver Creek right now in Colorado, but we don't know what kind of really nice, amazing things happen until they just happen. That's right. It is true when we attend a new conference or even take a meeting with someone for the first time, we, we break open new doors and we sort of look inside. And I would say an event like that happened you know, in the past few weeks when China has sort of let it out into the world that they are looking hard at banning high hydrocarbon automobiles in China at some point, maybe it's 2040 in the future. We've heard similar things come out of the UK and France, trying to work their economies towards no internal combustion engines eventually. Well, I can tell you, that's something that you get up in the morning and you look around and the world is quite different. There's not enough lithium on the the foreseeable horizon to fuel that many cars. uh, And that's only two short decades away. I've been in the business almost three decades, so I would argue that's not a very long time, 20 years. And here it comes. So the world's changing. The Cathodes Conference is going to give us some glimpses of that. I've had meetings with people here in Beaver Creek this week that were fresh. They were an interesting perspective I hadn't heard before, and that's par for the course in the lithium business, I think. How long do you think it will take before the cost of producing these electric vehicles will drop dramatically? Well, UBS Research has just done a beautiful piece of work over the last year, and they They actually published some forecasts about faster rates of adoption and what have you. Great piece of work. But the most interesting thing that came out of our trip to Europe and and meetings with UBS and others was that they demonstrated that by next year, total cost of ownership for electric vehicles will equal or go below internal combustion engines in Europe. And the reason for that, of course, is those high fuel costs. They're going to get there first, but they also say that China and the U.S., North American markets, will be there soon thereafter, around 2020, 2021. That's when dominoes start falling, Ellis because at that point, people don't have to look to subsidies anymore. People don't have to think about this as a oh, kind of a quirky early adopter luxury, like a $1,000 iPhone. No, this is something that's practical, and this is something that actually costs me the same or less to use. I mean, don't forget, we've already seen that the price of lithium batteries and electric vehicles is quite inelastic to the price of the lithium that goes into them. In other words, the lithium price has been rising steadily. It's at record levels. And yet, the cost of making a battery pack for an electric vehicle is down by 70% over the last seven years. So these batteries are getting cheaper, and we, the producers of lithium or potential producers of lithium, are able to get a higher price for our product, which is, of course, incentivizing the development of new projects. So I would say the system is working. The supply chain is getting filled grudgingly and barely, but the game is changing and so far the pieces are fitting together in an affordable way for a product that people want. No, I'm not really a trader. I like to consider myself somewhat of a visionary when I and I say that in all the humility I can muster when I invest on the stock. I'm a shareholder with Pure Energy, and as a shareholder, I'm interested in uh, closing that gap between the, the price of lithium itself and, and the stocks. Uh, I think there's a huge gap between not just Pure Energy and the, and the price of lithium, but with all the equities in the sector. I would say that if I look at lithium stocks, there's not a, yet a full appreciation for the margins that this business can produce. We just demonstrated, for instance, in our PEA, that our cash cost of production, when we're at full speed, if we build that mine, are around $3,200 a ton for lithium hydroxide. 
Well, right now, the price is somewhere north of $15,000 a ton for that battery-grade lithium hydroxide. So that's an attractive margin. Certainly, there's risk that any project gets built and that any company is successful. But when you factor that in, as we resource investors are doing on a regular basis when we look at equities, I would say you're right. I've never seen a macro space quite this hot. And yet the equities are all out there, which many of us generating great news and doing good work. And I would argue there's some undervaluing going on and and that a number of these stocks are are undervalued. And so it's an exciting time. And that's why we're out there meeting people, meeting new people, getting the word out and uh, trying to secure that next exciting milestone that will deliver those results that shareholders are looking for. So we're always working at it to close that gap, as you say. But I sure like being in an environment where the macro is so healthy. I don't see anything taking out lithium batteries for quite some time. There were a lot of naysayers a couple of years ago. I won't mention any names, but they're in the media like I am. A question was posed to me about a year ago. How many people do you know that drive electric cars? And my answer was, Okay, I get your point. That is quickly changing. I know a lot more people today driving electric cars than I did a year ago, two years ago, or or certainly five years ago. And that's a real thing. And credit to companies like Tesla who have thrown the gauntlet down for large-scale, low-cost production of lithium battery packs. That's really what it's all about. And that just set the bar. It's a pretty high bar, and other companies are achieving it as well. So the world is changing. Just because a, a commodity ends in IUM, it might still be worth having a look at. And so while we're a little different in the lithium business than, say, gold, a lot of the value creation process is the same. Make a big discovery, prove that it might be economic, and get out there and keep achieving your milestones. Well, Patrick, it's always a pleasure to speak with you, and this time in person. Thanks so much for joining me today in the program. Thanks for having me. Good to see you in Colorado here. I've been visiting with Patrick Highsmith of Pure Energy Minerals at the Precious Metals Summit in Beaver Creek, Colorado. Pure Energy Minerals trades as PEMIF in the U.S. and as PE on the TSX Venture Exchange. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com, or download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes or TuneIn Radio. I'm Ellis Martin, and I'm a shareholder of Pure Energy Minerals. Did you hear something worth repeating? Find all segments of this program on our website, ellismartinreport.com. Once again, here's Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Donald Baxter, the president and CEO of Alabama Graphite Corp., trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as CSPG and in the U.S. as CSPGF. With an advanced flake graphite project in the U.S. state of Alabama, Alabama Graphite intends on being a reliable long-term supplier of specialty high-purity graphite products. Don, welcome back to the program. If you don't mind, give us an overview of the company. We're perceived a little bit differently than we perceive ourselves. We are a technology company. We're focused in battery materials, namely graphite, processed graphite for materials. It's based upon a resource and a mine, but overall our main focus is secondary processing and being able to supply much needed battery-ready graphites for the various battery chemistries, but namely the lithium-ion battery industry, which is is going to be a major consumer of natural graphite for anodes for lithium-ion batteries. Would you explain why it's so important for your company's product to be sourced and made in America? Uh, I think the key thing is that even looking at the most recent sort of slant of the United States as far as becoming independent and being more America first, right now the United States is completely dependent on China and outside sources for graphite. And you see companies like Tesla that are building plants in Nevada to make lithium-ion batteries, American-made batteries and vehicles, yet they're reliant on China for a critical component of their materials. So we 
we're looking to be the answer to that and take away that complete dependency on China and other foreign entities for the United States and be able to process and make these materials in the United States. Now, Alabama Graphite owns the most advanced stage graphite project in the contiguous United States with its two graphite projects located in the state of Alabama. I note with interest, Don, that Mercedes announced recently that it is investing more than $1 billion to set up electric vehicle production in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, to build a battery factory nearby. Let's talk about that. This is big news. It's, it's tremendous. And we have been talking indirectly with Mercedes and just the fact that we're within Alabama and the state of Alabama have been obviously promoting us to their efforts to work with Mercedes. And ultimately, Mercedes will have a cell manufacturer. They may make the packs, but they will be bringing in with them a cell manufacturer, possibly even into Alabama. I can't name them, but all I can say is that we are in discussions with them. We're very much on the radar of Mercedes, and this is huge news for us. So we can't say anything material at this stage of the game, but there's an obvious connection between what Mercedes is doing in Alabama and what we're doing in Alabama. It looks like there's the potential for some vertical integration. I'm sure you're not going to be able to really comment on that, are you? I wish I could, but as I say, it's, it's getting very exciting. And then this whole thing, this, this path we've been on, which is I think is a different path from any other graphite potential developer out there, is been focused on batteries. And I think we've been the outlier, and I think there are things happening in these markets and these you know, announcements out of China and now announcements like Volkswagen and, and, and Volvo and most car manufacturers that this path we're on to needing these massive amounts of batteries is just falling in line to our story. And I think we're starting to see a bit of an awakening to what we're doing. And people maybe say, wait a minute, these guys are onto something here. We've, we've known it for you know, a year and a half, two years, but we're starting to see these kind of announcements that come out of Mercedes that realize that you can't build these things that they want to make without our material. Thing is, I'm also seeing out of China. I understand you were recently in Hong Kong, Seoul, and Tokyo, and it was quite an extensive trip. What can you tell us about it? First of all, I'll tell you, I'm I was on a bit of a tour uh, combined with Benchmark Mineral Intelligence. I spoke to a bunch of brokers in Hong Kong. I went to Seoul and I spoke to more end users of what we could possibly make. And then on to Tokyo. I spent more time in Tokyo. There's a lot more activity in Japan than most places. We had some very significant meetings. A lot of the news releases we've put out about our advancements in battery materials have been a little bit misunderstood by the market. However, there are some major players in the space who get exactly what we're doing. I had meetings with some several of those companies, household names. I really wish I could say out loud, and we may be able to soon, but walking out of some of these meetings, I'm thinking, wow, if the markets understood what we were talking about and the interest in our technical capabilities that we've shown, I think the market would see us in a completely different light, which again, I think we're starting to see some breaks in that to where people are realizing just what we're doing, but it's coming slowly. It's been a bit of a slog to get to the point where people are starting to understand us. Well, I'm sure there's even more interest because of the significant test results you recently got completed by Dallas-based RSR Technologies. They evaluated your purified micronized graphite, or PMG, which is a byproduct of your coated purified spherical graphite production, with unprecedented results. According to Dr. Matthew Rayford, RSRT's process engineer, supervisor of the evaluation, and I'm quoting, Alabama Graphite's Ultra PMG products outperformed all other standard commercially available carbon products we have treated, including carbon black. There are barely any impurities. 
He went on to say that this was the purest graphite product we have ever studied and analyzed by a significant margin. Oh, indeed. We've been dealing with this. I think we first gave the material about five, six months ago. And they kept saying, okay, we'll have results for you in a month or next week. And it kept saying, well, these things, these batteries just won't stop cycling. Your graphite is behaving so well. Wow, this is great. It's been exciting. And this is one of our byproducts. This is purified micronized graphite, which is what doesn't make the cut for coated spherical graphite. The lead acid industry looks to these guys as research space to try and improve the performance of lead-acid batteries and to make them competitive still with this onflux of lithium-ion batteries. And we're seeing these results and we're going, wow, this is even our best product. The conductivity enhancement that this provides, we still have another product, which is our delaminated expanded graphite that they can try. So this could be one of our first, although we have many uh, irons in the fire as far as offtakes and supply potential for lithium-ion, the lead-acid battery industry may come in underneath these guys and take a large chunk of our production. Give us an update, if you don't mind, on your previously announced 150-kilogram stockpile of American-sourced and manufactured battery-ready graphite products. We continue to build our inventory, and the significance of that is that we'll have at the ready a large quantity of characterized various graphite products that we'll use for the various end uses of batteries, mainly coated spherical graphite. But the fact we'll have this at the ready has these companies come back to us. Some of these companies that were evaluating material, they come back wanting more. We're not necessarily able to announce result of what they're doing, but we'll be in a position to be able to provide them several kilograms as they need to upscale their test work. So it's very significant to have this material on hand. The interesting thing is as we're building this inventory, we're still drawing from it to put out more and more samples. So we have a significant number of samples out now and it's growing and even some of the products we announce for some of our conductivity enhancement materials that can be used for all battery chemistries, we're getting more and more requests for this stuff. So some of the work we've done with silicon, with a CSPG, we're getting more and more requests for that. So there's some pretty exciting names that are quite recognizable in the marketplace that are asking us to work with them and, and work on you know playing around with certain variations of what we've done to date. Tell me something. Would you explain why your strategy of producing significant quantities of materials, as you just discussed, is more desirable in the immediate term, as opposed to commencing a potentially expensive feasibility study? Good question. And that's what we struggle with. We are a tech company. We see ourselves as a tech company. Those who are looking at us, when are you going to start your feasibility study? In a sense, we have, but the meetings I'm in in Japan, when we're talking about our final product, they're not asking me about feasibility studies on the mine. They're asking me about enhancements we've done with the graphite. The value to what we're doing is based on what we can sell and the technical capabilities we can show and these products we can make. That's where right now we're focusing the money. We've awarded the feasibility study. We've completed the first pilot plant, which is, is the basis of the feasibility study. We're underway with the second. We're actually on the sizing, shaping, coding portion of it. We're actually running that now. Part of building is inventory in larger quantities will basically qualify as pilot plant. And we're literally building a larger furnace right now in order for us to run that other portion of the pilot plant. So in effect, we are underway with the feasibility study. We also have the permits in place for the minimal amount of trenching we need to do for the feasibility study to upgrade our resource to a reserve. So that's underway. So in effect, we're underway with the groundwork which required to write the final report for the feasibility study. You have something which I think is very outstanding. 30 
executive NDAs with regard to offtake. What is happening and what can you tell us without breaching any confidentiality agreements? That's the thing. We have this and a lot of these things, a non-disclosure agreement. So we kind of, in some ways, we're bound by confidentiality in everything we're doing. The best example is things like RSR. We sign a non-disclosure agreement with them and then they come back with the result. They have to allow us to put out a news release about their results. So having all these NDAs and samples out is great, but a lot of cases... Some of these companies say, well, no, you can't put this news out. You can't talk about it. So we have to sort of grudgingly bow our head and, and walk away and you know, continue to work with them, continue to work towards the point where we, we're both comfortable about putting it out. Some of these companies we're working with, you know, we're working towards either a, an offtake or even in some cases a joint development agreement where we're looking at developing some of these products. So we're hopeful that even if we can announce an offtake per se, that we can even announce some joint development agreements with some names that I think most everybody in the marketplace would recognize. So it's a bit of a kind 22 where we're, we're announcing these NDAs and people are expecting, you know, the great results flowing back in and, and offtake galore, but it's a very secretive process in some cases. So we're at the mercy of some of these end users who, who don't realize or really don't care that, you know, a lot of our shareholders and investors want to see, be told these results in real time. And in some cases, we're just not allowed to do that. Full disclosure, I am a shareholder of Alabama Graphite, shares I purchased on my own with no solicitation from the company, my prerogative. As a shareholder, I have a keen interest in an unsolicited indicative proposal to acquire Alabama Graphite from a U.S.-based junior mining company. What can you say about this? There isn't a lot I can say. Obviously, there's confidentiality agreements in place. All I can say is on a positive note is that it's, you know, it's flattering that this particular company has looked at us. I think they've been watching us for a while and like what we're doing. I think they recognize that we are extremely undervalued and that the market doesn't quite understand just yet what we're doing, but they do. And I think they see an opportunity to come in in a lowball situation and try to acquire us. But quite frankly, we have so much in the pipeline and the market knew what I knew. We wouldn't be as undervalued as we are now and we wouldn't be a target. So we're not about to let somebody steal our company. We've got too much underway. And again, it's flattering and I'm pleased that they recognize what our potential is here. But again, we're not interested in selling at any time. We want to build this mine. I'm an engineer first and foremost. I want to build this mine. I want to build the plants that's going to secondary process and, and run this thing and do exactly what we say we're going to do. Overall, Don, why, in your opinion, do you believe that graphite is so tremendously potentially undervalued? Give us the hard reasons. And why specifically do you believe that Alabama graphite is a possible investment opportunity for our audience. Okay, one of my takeaways started with looking when I was in China in May and then again just in Japan just a couple of weeks ago is that the announcements coming out of China for their move to electric vehicles as fast as they're going to electric vehicles, they currently produce 100% of this battery-ready graphite used worldwide for lithium-ion batteries for natural graphite. They're going to use it all themselves. Five million electric cars on the road in China by 2022. Each million cars is 80,000 tons of graphite. That's actually finished product. Some of these companies we're talking to in Japan, they'll need 100,000 tons here and there, just one company. The rate at which you can make this stuff and mine it, China is well ahead of the pack. The investment community and, and I think the manufacturing community outside of China is up for a, a rude awakening. Is where is their graphite going to come from? They're focused on finding lithium and lithium's not the problem. Cobalt isn't really the problem. Graphite's the problem because China has a stranglehold and they are advancing their EV programs and whatnot faster than anybody else. They'll have no choice but to use their material 
oil for themselves. So I'm seeing here we are sitting on the largest deposit, the only one in the contiguous United States. We have a heck of a lot of graphite and we're making these wonderful products for these batteries and we're still struggling to get the market to realize just what we're doing to allow us to advance and raise money, which is all the requirements goes with a company in our, in our stage of development. But I think there's this massive tidal wave of shortage coming that no one's recognizing right now. And that's pretty telling. And even the rate at which we can produce, so I actually sat with a manufacturer, one of the machines we use to spherinize graphite in Japan, and looking at their largest machine and the rate at which it can spherinize, I'm thinking, my gosh, we need so many of these machines to fit even a small amount of this stuff. It's going to be a rude awakening, I think, as this comes on quicker than everybody thinks, that there's going to be a big rush to see where this material is going to come from. They're going to look to us and say, Alabama, wow, you guys know what you're doing here. We'll be the two-year overnight success, <laughs> I think. But I do see a real disconnect between what's happening in China, how fast they're progressing in this space, the battery space, because they have to. And then the rest of the world, who is going to need a copious amount of graphite. So, I mean, just looking at that Mercedes in Alabama, I, I don't know what their production rates are going to be, but they're going to need a lot of graphite. Tesla will need 50,000 tons. Mercedes will have another plant in Germany. Volvo, Volkswagen, where is it all going to come from? I don't know the answer to that. I know we're going to do our part to fulfill that need, but in the meantime, getting market recognition, it's a bit of a head-scratcher that we see it. What's that trigger to make everybody else see it? I don't know yet. We're working on it, but it's still becoming more and more apparent. I, think. I was having a conversation with Benchmark Minerals' Simon Moores and also Pure Energy's Patrick Highsmith, and I discussed the large disparity between the demand for lithium, cobalt, and graphite as opposed to the share prices and investment interest. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. And I think the biggest thing is that even if you look in our case, I mean, notwithstanding our current situation where someone trying to take us over and, and that has an effect on share price, look at some of the market valuations out there and look at us, look at our business model. And we strongly believe ours is the only business model that works. Yet our valuation is we're sort of middle of the pack in the whole graphite development space, but we're not where we think we should be. So I think once somebody realizes, once the you know the pack mentality, one, it takes one person to turn the herd, I think then we're off to the races. But Simon is very much in tune with the markets and where they're headed. And I think he sees it. I've had many conversations with Simon. Is, you know, how do we get the word out? How do people get this sort of breakthrough point when they realize just what is going to happen with these markets? It's a bit of a, as they say, nobody wants to be the first. You know, There's no analyst out there who's going to take the risk. Well, I think it's actually more eyes and ears on the company, considering all the potentially great news that we just heard. Don, thanks so much for joining me today on the program. I look forward to further updates. Thanks, Alice. Much appreciated. I've been speaking with Donald Baxter, the president and CEO of Alabama Graphite Corp., trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as CSPG and in the U.S. as CSPGF. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com, or listen to the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes or TuneIn Radio. Who are the small companies with big opportunities? Find an assortment of potential investment opportunities. Start by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Eric Owens is the president and CEO of Alexandria Minerals Corporation. Alexandria Minerals Corporation trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol AZX and in the U.S. as ALXDF. Alexandria is an active, growth-oriented Canadian gold exploration and development company with strategic properties located in the world class mining districts of Val d'Or, Quebec, Red Lake, Ontario, and Snow Lake, Flin Flon, Manitoba. Alexandria's focus is on its flagship property, the large Cadillac Brake property package in Val d'Or, which hosts important near-surface gold resources along the prolific gold-producing Cadillac Brake, all of which have significant growth potential. Today, I'm visiting with Eric Owens at the Precious Metals Summit at Beaver Creek in Colorado. Eric, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Ellis. Now, we're out here at Beaver Creek, and I'm going to have to ask you, like I've asked 
some of our other guests on the program. What brings you here? Well, Beaver Creek is one of the most notable gold-related conferences in North America anyway, and probably globally. It's a small, unique conference that brings a lot of knowledgeable people, people that are knowledgeable about the industry together. You made a great presentation yesterday. You've got some fantastic news at Zone 4 Renata. Let's talk about that. Yeah, it's great. Thanks. We just recently announced some great drill results, including things like 10 grams per ton, over 6.9 meters, uh, that sort of thing. The importance of these things is that they're expanding the gold deposit there beyond, well beyond the limits of the last resource estimate, which was done in 2009. So we're showing that we can grow this deposit into new virgin territory with our drilling program here. Which is exactly what you forecasted several weeks ago. That's correct. Yeah, we were forecasting we would be doing this and we're certainly doing this and we have a lot more of this coming down to Pico this fall. We're just getting into the fall right now. What do you see the plan for the winter and the coming spring? We're currently finishing up a 30,000 meter drill program. I expect that to be completed in the next probably two to three weeks. So we're going to see some results from that? Yes, absolutely. So far we've completed 25,000 meters of that program. We have 5,000 meters more to drill. We released last week, we're just the first 13 holes of this program, and we have drilled so far almost 100 holes. So we have a lot of results pending, coming out. At the end, all these drill holes are aimed at providing for us a new updated resource estimate, which we plan on releasing somewhere around January of next year. The way you framed the story yesterday very nicely in your presentation, I got the impression that down the road, when everything's in place and you've developed the resource as you want, and I don't imagine you'll ever stop doing that. You may potentially be a, a takeout candidate. Yeah, ultimately, that's, I think, many juniors' goal is to discover a great deposit in order for a major to come along and, and buy them out. And that's generally our business model, but other things could happen as well. But you're in a very prolific area, and you're achieving very prolific results, better results than many of the companies in the same space, and you have some major investors involved in your portfolio. Yeah, uh, we have a good, strong support by many of our investors, and uh, the top among those are the, the Sprotter Sprott group, including Eric Sprott, with something on the order of about 12%. Agnico Eagle, of course, still owns 8%. They've been a long-term shareholder. We have a number of funds in, the, in both the U.S. And, and Canada as well. Dundee, Gabelli, AIS, Gold 2000. There's a number of funds that have stuck with us as well. Once you get your resource estimate, what's the plan going forward? Well, we anticipate drilling more along trend. We have a lot of untested ground along trend both east and west of where we're drilling right now. This resource update will be the first step of many that I envision and our real focus in 2018 will be even what I envision a much larger drill program than the one we've just completed. Once we complete this 30,000 meter program we will have completed 43,000 meters of drilling this year so we anticipate a much bigger activity next year to try and enlarge this deposit even further. Eric thank you very much for joining me today on the program. Thank you, Alice. It's a pleasure, always. I've been chatting with Eric Owens of Alexandria Minerals Corporation, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol AZX and the U.S. as ALXDF. Download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes and on your TuneIn Radio app. Did you hear something worth repeating? Find all segments of this program on our website. EllisMartinReport.com. You've just heard opinion, commentary, and dissertation involving publicly traded companies seeking your potential investment. They paid us for the privilege. Invest at your own risk and only after doing extensive research. Find our sponsors and listen to segments of this program again on our website. EllisMartinReport.com.